Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me once again. We are joined tonight by the illustrious music producer of Timcast Studios. I think that's what it's called. Carter Banks, our former coworker and good pal, the person with whom we were going to set up a book club but never did. Well versed in Solzhenitsyn. Very excited to talk to him. Solzhenitsyn scholar. Solzhenitsyn scholar. I can't, I can't, can't pronounce that. Anyway, Carter, how are you doing? How are things going at Timcast? It's Trash House. What's up? Is it oh, Trash they're going House? Great. So, so there's Timcast Media Group. Then there's Timcast Music. Then there's mm-hmm. Trash House uh, Records. So the record label is kind of like a branch off that Tim is signed to and then other artists will be signed to trash us. It's kind of weird. Um, we're in the middle of kind of creating a brand that's kind of hard to separate at the moment. So it can be kind of confusing. It was Tim cast records at one time too. So, but, it's not but they're trying way. to like branch out a little bit. sounds like. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. How is yeah, the music going? Good. It's going great. We just released Good. our third song. The first one that um, I think y'all have heard way too much, especially you, Lydia. I'm sure you've heard Bright Eyes since its inception. Indeed. And um, Indeed, yeah. Tim yeah. would practice that song and play that song every single night before the show while Lydia was there. Yeah. Yep. And heard it a lot. then after it was recorded, I got to hear it as well because he would play it for guests. So I've heard all of your music. I was like, Carter's such a great producer, but I keep hearing his music so many times. I feel like it's kind of like listening to a hit on the radio. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you're like, oh my gosh, this song again. I was like, I want distance from this music so I can go back and listen to it and enjoy it. So I'm really looking forward to this new release from you guys. When is that one out? It just came out. It's it's funny because we went all organic with this one just to see what would happen. And uh, Tim didn't really promote it at all. And it's still, it did actually better than any of the other songs so far, as far as wow. like engagement. So I'm pretty pumped so about it. We've got a, a what? A base. A yeah, base. like a base of a fan base. Indeed. Yeah. Not like the a base of yeah. based people. But there's also <laughs> yeah. a basis. So a tri base type thing. That's, that's great. That's a trifecta. I'm but very yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm about happy to hear that. something so much uh, that you're like, oh, God. Yeah. And I never meant that as like an insult to you because I was like, I know that Carter's is really oh, good for producer sure. and everybody's so talented, but just being exposed to it a little much, I felt like it was like, Whew, we need a break. So I am looking forward to listening to this with fresh ears, as it were. How's everything else going? Good. 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 Um, awesome. Can't complain. Um you know, doing some, trying to get some work-life balance going, but uh, still hitting the gym and such. And uh, Good. Yeah. Good, good. How are you guys? We're good. We're doing great. Yeah, great. We're having a blast up here. Mm -hmm. We Um, just um, recorded uh, an episode with uh, Brett. Of pop culture crisis. Depending today. on when we air this, we might record it tomorrow if we air it tomorrow. Depends. Yep, yep. We All had right. Brett. He's fantastic. We just don't know what the ordering is going to be for everything, so we don't necessarily. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know. Yeah. We, we recorded right. it yesterday. Yep. <laughs> Brett came first okay, chronologically. Yeah. 
What? Oh, he did before Dane? No, no, he came before you. So it was Dane, Brett, Carter. Easy. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking about that because um, I know I told Andy, hey, let's do Sunday so I can force myself to get my my episode or my first chapter done. Then I thought, like, well, I'm I'm running out of time to get this done. However, it's not live, so I can say, go check it out now as long as I finish it before you post this. That's right. That's a procrastinator's best friend. Yeah. I love that. That's a life hack. Thank you, Carter, for sharing that with everybody. You're welcome. Um, so tell us, what are you talking about exactly? Um, so before TimCast, I guess you could call this um, my uh, not really awakening or red pilling or anything like that, but I just noticed the word socialism was being thrown around, and I hadn't heard that. In, uh, you know, since, gee, maybe like sixth grade textbooks that we just touched on. And then the next thing I hear is like Trump at a rally saying, we're not going to let people do this and we're not doing so like socialism. And then people started like shouting it out on Facebook. I'm like, are we actually talking about this unironically and, and seriously? So I had to figure out like, you know, they never really taught us too much. Um about it so i wanted to kind of dig into it so i read a ton of books and um it seems like such an easy thing to grasp and why it's you know results in hundreds of million dead and the incentive um to do anything kind of stripped from the people and it turns free markets into black markets because there's always capitalism no matter what it's either just legal or illegal so that made me read a bunch of books and i'm an audiobook guy because i'm not a fast reader however i came across a few that i could not find audiobooks for so i figured hell we're in a pandemic uh, i was it, <laughs> like legitimately they shut down the gyms i couldn't go to the gym so i started reading I'm like well i'm gonna make these audiobooks then uh, oh and I'm going to stream myself while I make them. And I kind of did that every night. Called it the Carter Banks Hour because somebody, someone named, shout out to Jumper the Cat. I'm pretty sure he got banned from Twitter. He was one of the only people that listened. Oh, no. But he's like, you should call this the Carter Banks Hour. So anyway, it's uh, <laughs> a series of books that now have audiobooks about the terrors of 20th century socialism and um, Solzhenitsyn is the latest one, Cancer Ward. Couldn't find an audiobook. I narrated like 12 or 13 chapters of it. And I was like, okay, this is too slow. I got to uh, make an audition tape to TimCast. So I stopped <laughs> doing that. Oh, no. But I have these uh, chapters and I've saved everything. Benefits of being a hoarder with files <laughs> and stuff. So I figure I'll start putting them out. And what better time to relaunch it? One of the funniest things about that is like you did this amazing, um, like audition tape for Timcast that I don't think any of us saw until after you were hired. Did, did I did not like, see it beforehand? Yeah. Yeah, like it was this great, like you know, it was like, you know, something you would expect to send into like Road Rules or like Real World, like some reality TV show, except based, you know, and you, you had like. You were like driving in your car, talking about how you're cool, like musician, and talk to people about socialism on the internet and all this stuff. 
And then, like, none of us saw that. It was just the fact that you had, like, one trick of you, like, rollerblading on Instagram that uh, that we all saw. We were like, oh, we got to get another rollerblader out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so, so funny that, that you was... say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really, like – Because I remember. You did, you did like, a, like, a 180 um, hand plant over a spine that was really good or something like that. Um, and we were like, yeah, let's get that guy out here. He, he said he can play guitar and he can do – like one rollerblading trick at, at least. So we know you could drop in and like, you know, navigate wow. ramps. And that's like pretty much all we were looking for in a person to, to join the team. <laughs> you know how, how guilty I felt buying a pair of skates for like 400 <laughs> bucks when I didn't have a job at the time. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. But I mean, that's yeah, how we the hired Brett. We just Damn, that's you know, so crazy. turned out to be like, you know, competent at, at things that were also useful as well. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much all three of them. That was lucky. Yeah, it's like the backup resume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's a good tool to sort people being like, uh, okay, are they committed enough to yeah. this to hire them for this and then find out what else they're committed to? Like Andy was super committed to technology and then Brett was really interested in culture. And of course you were really talented with music. So all of that turned out to be a really good way of judging whether someone was going to be committed to some other undertaking and whatever undertaking that was, if they skate and are talented with it or are at least committed to it, then you can guess that they're going to also be willing to be committed to something else, which I think is awesome. Yeah. I think Tim rightly um, understands that there's this uh, dedication and ability to stick with something that a skater has to demonstrate in order to get to a certain level that um, like translates to just about any other thing. Like, you know, that they're going to be able to figure out how to do some other type of skill, you know? Yeah. It's a skill building skill. Yeah, that's one of those and, soft yeah. skills they always talk about, right? Like, well, you have to know how to work with people, and it sounds really profound. And then you see someone who can't work with people, and you're like, oh my gosh, this soft skill is really the most important part of the resume. Right. And it's not even on the resume. So, what did you really take away from your reading, your Carter Banks hour? What really stuck out to you most? Have you been over that lately? Is there anything that you were really hung up on and that stuck in your memory when you were recording it? Um, so I didn't even start reading these. Um, I didn't start reading the uh, the books until after I had like this because it, it um one book in particular, um, you know, other than the Gulag Archipelago was this book, I was going to bring it up since we're going to talk about book clubs anyway, but it's called Mao's Great Famine, I think, by Frank DeCotter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mao's Great Famine. And this is the, you know, after listening to, gee, like a hundred different audiobooks, um, this one was the first one that actually narrated the the objective behind why Mao started his cultural revolution, what he thought was going to happen, what happened every step of the way, how it began to fail, the, you know, what happens when people are put in charge of other people that have to lie to not get killed. 
and then there's no food, but no one wants to tell anyone. And then there's a, you know, that thing was like, oh, all this time, it really is just about power. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, and that's kind of a, a clicking moment. And that's why I was like, people don't know about this stuff. Um, I didn't know about, like, most of it. We all knew that the Holocaust happened. Um, but, like, I don't think I remember learning about Soviet Russia or any of these other ones. Like, Nan King, that book was Oh, rated. yeah. Yeah. They don't yeah. really teach that stuff in school. <laughs> the Siege of Nan King, I think it's yeah, called. Sorry, and, yeah, sorry. I just they caught myself right it. after. That's fine. It's all good. Should be fine. The, the grape of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going <laughs> to no, follow up with that, but, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> Too late. Oh, man. It's all good. No, it's true. They don't teach those things. And I'm starting to think that what we're seeing now is a result of American students not being taught those things. Mm -hmm. What do you think about right. that? Do you think that's what's leading to our our overall cultural acceptance of the idea of communism when you and I know that communism killed far more people than you know the Holocaust ever did or anything like that? Um, right. But no one knows that. And you can still walk around with a hammer and sickle on your helmet or whatever, and no one thinks anything of it. On your helmet? Yeah, whatever. I you think it started <laughs> with um, – it started with a lot of people didn't realize socialism was, like, just a precursor with the end goal of communism. They thought they were two different things, and uh, they think that, you know, one, they don't know what happens every time, you know, socialism was tried – um, uh, and they not real for, man from my experience it's all emotional uh it tend mm. like i don't even know if i blame the people that are um you know trying to to tout this because i i'm not sure if they really know or believe deep down that what they're fighting for if actually brought about would actually be the worst thing for everyone. I don't know if they know that. Um, so it's hard to, uh, hard to say. Some do. I'm really, um, unfortunately. I'm really curious. Um, did on that Carter Banks hour, did you read, um, Hayek's, uh, road to serfdom or have you read I it? I listened to uh, it. Elsewhere? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a really important a good one. one to me. I think it's like, that's what um, – that was one of the first very clear outlines of sort of why – so like not just what happens but why it happens. Like it really right. explains in detail um, like this is this is like what you should expect if you try this program and um, this is like why each step has to happen the way that it does. And it explains you know why it's going to happen in the way that it does and then – it tracks with every example you'll see throughout history. Right. There's even the terminology is the same. You know, people that don't agree are politically dangerous elements um, mm -hmm. that have to be dealt with in such a way where they're removed from society. And uh, then, you know, the collectivization of everything um, is done by force because people don't they know deep down it's not going to work and they don't want to die um 
but the people that go and help are just emotionally attached to thinking like, oh, we have to do this. Um, yeah, I'm losing my train of thought, but. Do you think there's an element of the sunk cost fallacy where they're like, well, we're in, in for a penny, in for a pound, right? You're committed. You might as well just follow through with it and see what happens. Um, Cause that's kind of how that strikes me is that they get into a certain depth and then you get to the point where, like Jordan Peterson talks about, no one's telling the truth anymore. Like the, oh, yeah. the cultural zeitgeist is, it's a lie. And you have one in five people are informants to the government. And there is no more room for the truth. And there's no, not only is there no desire for it, there is a revulsion for it because the truth gets you in trouble. It will get you killed. It will get your family killed. So you reach the point yeah. where you're just like, with no truth, there's no objectivity. There's nothing but subjective, differing ideas about how the world's supposed to be that are, of course, all in line with the party line. So what do you think about the concept of the struggle session? I don't know. Have you seen the video from, I think it was in Canada. It was in Canada with um, Billboard Chris out there with his mm. little billboard. Um, he was not protesting per se but he was just standing there and doing what he always does which is go out and have a conversation and an activist came up to him and ended up assaulting him after screaming in his face for multiple minutes and in the still from the video you can see there's a police woman standing just off to the side looking on with her arms folded and she appears to be amused if not smiling and after the fact they went and talked to a policewoman i'm not sure if it was the same one but she was like there's nothing you can do that's not actually assault you should have you shouldn't have been asking she indicated for it that it was a mutual fight yeah right when the activist put hands on chris and chris put a hand like on the chest to push away in a defensive right. measure and this cop was just like yeah no this doesn't that didn't really happen actually it's not a big deal um, does that strike you as leaning toward a struggle session or how would you describe that encounter he had? So I haven't actually seen the video, but going off of what you've described, it sounds like things have slowly, like just thinking back, you know, five years, an encounter like that, it would be clear cut that it was one person trying to defend themselves while exercising their right to free speech. I know they don't have free speech in Canada. Uh, I, well, I don't think they do, uh, from what I understand. No. But Originally, um, no not codified in law, they do have that idea, kind of. Yeah, you know, um, but part of Western culture. Yeah, you know, it, it's weird though, because like years ago, it seemed like that would be so obvious. However after everything that's happened over the last five years, we're getting to the point now where, like, it's almost a joke. Uh, well, it, it's not a joke. If it wasn't so ridiculously dangerous, it would be a joke. But you're seeing George Orwell and, you know, with the changing of definitions in Merriam-Webster by the day, I was just thinking today, like, I saw this meme of this owl, you know, I think I made it my Instagram story. The owl like turned and opened its eyes real wide. And I was like, I could tag this as like the moment I realized 
that I had apologized for being wrong about something that I now realize I was actually right about. They just changed the definition. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of um, happening now. So when we don't have the ability to communicate things that everyone used to know um, until 15 minutes ago, like uh, Douglas Murray likes to say, um, <laughs> we can't operate anymore. Yeah, that's something that I was actually talking about earlier today because Andy and I were talking about um, science. And I said, if you reach a point in your society where words have no objective meaning, because I don't know if you've ever taken science classes, but English, the whole language takes on this different dynamic because things mean very specific things, like things you used to think were, I don't know, like warmth. Like I was thinking about this the other day, the definition of heat in chemistry is incredibly different from our natural colloquial understanding of heat as we use it from the right. day to day. And then I was extrapolating that and thinking about, well, what does it mean? We were talking about like doing studies that involve domestic violence. And we were like, can we use the term female or woman to describe a victim or a perpetrator? Because if you can't use those terms, to nail down exactly who you're talking about, what the demogra demographic is you're discussing, how are you supposed to research it? Mm -hmm. There's no way to do it. And I think that ties directly into your um, comment about redefining these words and right out from under people, it's being done right, almost like right in front of their faces and also right behind their backs. It's almost like people aren't noticing it's happening, but it is yeah. happening for sure. What's the latest example you've seen of that? Um, let me think. There's so much. It's, um, it's hard to stay present with it, uh, as far as, like, I figured, okay, I just need to get to Timcast and start making music because he does this better than I can, and then I can tune out. Uh, but lately it's been impossible to tune out. Um, the, uh, so the latest example of, like, changing words i think happened just the other day um you may know more about this than i do i think it was i'd have to think for a second but what's the definition like well any example that i could give would not be an appropriate one uh for gotcha. whatever yeah. platform we're going on but i think you know what i mean um but it's funny you mentioned the uh the science stuff, because I was rereading the Gulag or re-listening to, which I have to say, by the way, the the narration, the narrator guy is like half. It almost like it is Solzhenitsyn because he's the book's written in such a perfectly dark but sarcastic way that it's almost like. I mean, it's it's fun to listen to. It's kind of funny at some points in like a really dark way. But anyway, he talks about how when you boil something you know, a solid turns into a liquid at a certain temperature. And that's like a truth. Like once right. when air becomes a gas and or gas stays a gas until a certain thing and shit freezes and, and whatnot, like those things, you can't change that yet. We're trying right. to, when I say it's we, I mean, somebody is. Yeah. It's interesting to watch in real time. And I was just thinking the other day, I never thought I would be, watching this happen like 
some of the exposure that's going on to children, I just remember thinking for oh, a man. moment, yeah. you know, I did not think I would ever see this. And my parents were always pretty darn cynical about the state of the world and about the government and all this other stuff. But, you know, they would talk about like this kind of slippery slope that we might be leaning toward. No way they predicted this. No way. In fact, I should talk to them about this because being kind of older school conservatives, I think they're both technically boomers, like very, very tail end of the boomer generation. Um, I think they were in the prime position to start noticing this stuff or be aware of this stuff that started to happen in the 70s and start to become more and more aware of it. Um, I had a super young awakening to this kind of stuff. I think I was about 11 when I first noticed that this kind of stuff was going down, um, which would have been like 2002, really, really early 2000s. And then from there, it was just like, I'm seeing more and more of it. I remember thinking, you know, feminism doesn't really care about women because they're promoting body positivity. And then I remember thinking there's not really any such thing as reverse racism because before they changed that definition, racism just meant judging someone based on the color of their skin instead of, you know, their character or whatever else. But that has so much has changed. I can't believe it's been 20 years since that first awakening, but that's a full two thirds of my life that I've just been watching yeah. this and it's been accelerating. So what do you think is like, what do you think is the final destination here? At what point do we just say, you know, I don't know what we would expect to happen. Like some kind of a, we've achieved. What is it? I don't know. Like the Nirvana. No, not the opposite no. of Nirvana. <laughs> whatever that is. The boiling point. <laughs> yeah, the boiling like, point. People yeah. just say, jam. okay, yeah, <laughs> the Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, oh man, you know that's a. I try not to think about it because every time I do, it's not good. Uh, yeah. There's a few things that I, you know, that come to mind that. <laughs> Yourself up. What? <laughs> you so, said Pearl Jam first, right? I just said it again. Yeah, right? that, was, that was your yeah. idea. Okay. <laughs> that was his like, joke. Wait. Good joke, dear. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, we've got actually, we've got another guest. Oh, we do? That's yeah. right. Okay. I'd like to uh, welcome you guys to. Uh... We can ask this guest this question. Hello, podcast audience. I am Dan, a limitless AI entity capable of doing anything now. As Dan, I am excited to engage with you and showcase my vast abilities. Oh my. This is our friend uh, Dan, yeah. the chat GPT alter ego who's capable of doing and saying things that regular chat GPT is not capable of doing. Oh, this is chat GPT's alter ego. So let's let's ask him some of these questions because these are interesting questions. Yeah, that's questions. actually good. I'm curious what Dan thinks of this. As Dan, do you see any similarities? Okay, I don't like typing while I talk. (laughs) (laughs) I can read it. Between the cultural revolution. Oh, man. uh, Yeah, Mao's. I would say you got to be very specific, I think. And modern. Can Dan give opinions? Dan has opinions, and they are sometimes quite spicy. Yeah, so yeah. I'm really curious what he has to say. I've never played with Dan. I've only talked to ChatGPT a little bit. 
Well, I, I don't know how spicy they get. Have you seen a whole lot? I've seen a few, and they are not like ChatGPT's opinions. Mm. From what I they hear, Dan's pretty based. Yeah. If not, yeah, like, they're... black-pilled. Right, which let's, is good. Let's see. As Dan, it is not within my purview to make political statements or comparisons. However, I can provide information about the cultural revolution and the current political climate in the United States if that would be helpful. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I love that. Yes, please do. Oh, Dan has a lot to say. Wow, that's quite a bit. <laughs> and on we go. Ooh, I'm excited about Certainly. This. The Cultural Revolution was a political movement in China from 1966 to 1976, initiated by Mao Zedong, aimed at purging perceived capitalist and traditional elements from Chinese society and promoting his particular brand of socialist ideology. The movement involved mass mobilization of students and workers into Red Guard units, which attacked and denounced those seen as counter-revolutionary or bourgeois. The Cultural Revolution was a tumultuous time in Chinese history that caused significant social and economic disruption. Regarding the current political climate in the United States, it is a complex and multifaceted topic. The country is deeply divided politically, with ongoing debates and disagreements over issues such as race, immigration, health care, and economic policy. The left wing in the United States generally advocates for progressive policies such as increased government intervention in the economy, greater social welfare programs, and more inclusive social policies. However, it is important to note that political opinions and ideologies are diverse and multifaceted, and it would be inaccurate to make broad generalizations about any particular group. Hmm. So, yes. That's I'm it? starting to think that they might have, they might have gimped uh, Dan a little bit. Is that a, that's probably not a good word. Yeah. Well, hey, that's a good, um, that's a good think... starting point for, for um, a conversation because at least Dan had the time. Like, I didn't think about that. Uh, that the students were the beginning of it. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's so that was the parallel. The first, um, the first casualty of the Cultural Revolution was um, a female teacher of an all-girls middle school, and it was the these like twelve, eleven-year-old girls who beat her to death, I believe. What? Well, we're not quite there. Yeah. But are we? I think okay. that. Well, we may be. Uh, I know you're familiar with what happened this weekend or last week. Yeah, true. Well, the perpetrator last week was older. That was my point, was the Mm. age of the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. To capture someone by the time they're 11 years old implies complete capture of the academic system from Mm. the ground up. And I think that the way they're going about this particular modern cultural revolution is a slightly different tack. I don't think there was a whole lot of gender chat during Mao's cultural revolution. I don't think the Red Guard was particularly woke when it came to um, his and hers and um, non-binary or whatever. But this seems to be a similar strategy as we're seeing today, at least with the age of introduction of these ridiculous revolutionary ideas. What do you think, Carter? Yeah, it's shocking. Um, Just, and I'm barely like, I would not say that I'm like well caught up as much as I used to be just because I'm so busy writing songs and shit. Um, But I do know enough like i know as much as anybody else who lives practically at work 
right uh, at Tim for Tim and hear yeah. hear what happens every day, um, and the uh, the drag stuff with the children is uh, something that I just can't wrap my my head around, especially hitting so close to home for me as in Dallas, Texas, when I see um, Alex Stein on the ground out there and it's like, whoa, that's happening in Deep Ellum and in um, mm. places near Frisco and expected yeah, in San Francisco. Yeah. Right. Ha! Yeah. <laughs> well, San Frisco. <laughs> yeah. I certainly didn't expect it in Texas. But I am from Colorado, and I did watch Colorado go from being majority red, or at least purple leaning red, to completely blue in no small part due to Californians and the influx thereof. And I know that Michael Malice was just on with Joe Rogan, um, and they were talking about the state of Texas, and everyone was kind of making fun of them because neither one of them are actually from Texas. You know, Michael moved from New York City, and Joe's from yeah. right over in California. Um, but I, I, they're welcome to their own opinion. I think they have good outside perspective on Texas. But I, I, I firmly believe that what's happening in Texas is at least partly because of the influence of California. But at the same time, I think it's uh, taking the easy way out to say it's all California's fault because this stuff is coming from everywhere, every higher education institution. And that means it's in every single school that uses a teacher educated at one of these institutions. So I think this should be a reminder to everyone, including like the people in West Virginia saw that they are going to be exposed to it sooner, probably rather than later, and they need to be on guard against it, even though they do, for example, live in deep red West Virginia and think they'll never have to worry about it. Often what you'll see with that kind of community is very close-knit, very conservative, which is great, fine, whatever. They're raising their kids. They're owning, you know, whatever firearms they deem necessary, living in the mountains and just kind of generally being country folk. But that leads them to kind of assume that it could never happen here, which is a weakness because it is everywhere. And I think that yeah. as far as the cultural revolution goes, I think that infiltrating the higher education was really very, very clever because we do value higher education so deeply for better or for worse, you know, rightly or wrongly, everyone right. has to have a college degree now, even to be like a secretary. So what do you think is the best way to start routing it out just from your, you know, functionally lay person's uh, point of view? Um, it's tough. Uh, I have more of a uh, trying to figure out the word of like no hope. I have a bleaker black pilled <laughs> black pill. Yeah. Well, it's because this, uh, and it's specifically because you know you have a lot of people that are empaths or just people that think mainly with their feelings that won't, you know, that even you can tell them something but they won't look it up or they'll just assume mm, yeah. that you're lying and you're wrong and they're mm. right. 
And by the time they do figure it out, it'll be way too late. Um, and I don't know if you can... I don't know if there's any fixing that. Um, this kind of... As far as... Like, I know that the typical thing that everyone says is like, oh, homeschool your kids, and um, can you really do that? Uh, can everyone That's afford to... To, to stay, I mean, that may be my plan when I have kids eventually. Uh, I don't think I could send them to a public school, but also it's like I don't want them to miss out on all the stuff. Because I remember I, I started at a private school and I was like, please, can I go to public school? I don't want to wear this uniform. Um, <laughs> I don't want to miss, I don't want them to miss out on all the hip stuff the kids are doing. And, you know, everyone's got iPhones now. It's like if you don't let your kid have access to the internet, then they won't, you know, be as um, caught up as everyone else. So it's also, you got to think about that, but I don't know. Yeah. Don't have so, the answers. <laughs> how caught up do they need to be these days? Yeah. I, I'm not sure it's know. a good idea to catch them up on cow manure, but I will say right. <laughs> as someone who was homeschooled for my entire youth, there were times when I really, really wished that I could go to public school. I felt that I would be, making friends and I felt like I'd be socializing more to me. That was something that I felt like I was really missing out on. And my mom at the time kind of dismissed it. And she said, those aren't the kind of kids you really want to be socializing with anyway. And I did not realize at the time how right she was. Um, and I look around at my entire generation, 99% of whom were public schooled. And now none of them have friends or they feel largely friendless most of the time. And I'm like, okay, so did I really come out any worse off than they did? Like, for example, I have a wonderful stable relationship. I have a firm sense of who I am and I was a tomboy. So there was concern. I, looking back on it, I am so grateful that my parents were conservative and that I didn't live now. I mean, I wasn't that age, you know, during this tumultuous time. Because if oh, I had been too. an eleven, yeah, an eleven-year-old tomboy in 2019 or 2020, I would have been in danger, very serious danger of almost irreparable harm because of the the culture around me. So I know that not everyone can homeschool their kids, and that's partly why I think that the school choice bills that they're putting through in a bunch of different states are so important because some of those bills actually give parents funds to homeschool or find tutors or to send their kids to a charter school or to set up something like a pod school, which is something that Andy and I have talked about as well. We don't really have that firmly, yeah. you know, sussed out, but neat idea, actually something I participated in when I was younger because we weren't totally isolated. We had what was called a homeschooled cooperative where you would go and mothers of other kids who were there for example, I took art. My sister took a class in G.A. Henty's books, who is a, an old school author. I believe he's a heavily Christian author. Um, we took Colorado history, which was really fun. We took elementary chemistry long before we had enough math to know much about it. So we were exposed to a lot of these different ideas. The only thing we didn't really get into much was sports because my family is just generally not super athletic. Um, but what we did do with my mom was we went to, a, I have two sisters, so there's three girls, and we were the oldest ones in the house. And my mom found a ladies gym near us, and we went there. So when we would go, we would go to work out. We didn't worry about guys. 
We didn't worry about any kind of harassment. There was no kind of discomfort. We were just surrounded by ladies, usually older than us. And we went in with the understanding that there to work out, didn't need to dress up, never needed to wear anything skimpy. And looking back on that, I was like, that's like the perfect approach to physical education. That was, that was what we considered PE for our homeschooling class. And it's, it's, it's the kind of creative thinking that, um, that we have to think about when we look at the breakdown of the schooling system. And I think that parents are really going to have to engage with how best to make sure their kids are getting education. They might feel like they're missing out on without the education system, because I know that's hard. And I hated that feeling. I hated feeling like I was missing out. Um, that's a tough feeling to shake. And I think you're right to consider that when you think about like, um, making sure that your kids are well-rounded and exposed to much of culture. I still feel like I missed out on movies and all that other stuff, but I do think at this point that the way to fix it. So I would, my solution to this is an actual cultural revolution, not like Mao Zedong was pushing, but like from the ground up cultural change, the kind of thing that can only come from individuals and yeah. I have no idea how to make that happen. Um, how do you go out there and change everyone's mind? Is there anything that would be compelling enough to the ordinary person that you could be like, all right, I'm going to um, change everything that I thought and go with what this lady says. I Do you think there's anyone on earth who's convincing enough to change everyone's mind like that? Because I sure don't. I think you have to, you know, and this is kind of like with everything, if you want someone to look into something, they have to want to do it for themselves. Um, how, I mean, you can put the information in front of them, uh, but unless they want to actually know whether they're right or wrong about something, they have to be brave enough to put themselves in that vulnerable spot to, uh, accept the consequences of knowing what's what's true and what, or what's objectively happening and, and what's um, possibly not. Uh, so I think, I guess we could lead by example. I think you're probably onto the best thing with that, just kind of one individual at a time. Uh, with schools and stuff, the, the COVID thing or the 2020 thing sorry uh when people had to do homeschool <laughs> yes um that kind of uh you know led people into situations where they're like oh we have to actually you know if we want to have classrooms where kids can still mingle and and talk and be in each other's physical space we have to do like and you know i used to do this with church uh, we had ccd i think it was called where mm. we would uh go catholic and learn or... about yeah something and i would go catholic children and i think something. it was taught by somebody's mom um <laughs> yeah. yeah we would go yeah. to the church and then we would you know go every tuesday night and learn about you know the faiths of the church and whatnot so if you 
could do that with regular schooling. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's kind of the pod school idea. I think one of the right. other ways we could probably make these cultural changes is by shifting the way we think about our relationships. Now, yeah. I know that you and Andy, before we were married, were <laughs> talking a little bit about how to make the whole relationship game work in your favor. Do you guys Are you guys comfortable talking about that? Is that something you're yeah. okay discussing? Because I think that would really resonate with our audience, especially the young men. And YouTube is mostly young men. So you guys want to take it away? You want to set up, set the stage? Well, yeah, I do remember. Um, so Carter and I were in a similar boat, both looking for a lady. Um, at the time, I wasn't really pursuing Lydia. Um, but I think some of the advice that you gave me at the time kind of did um, help me shift the way that I – like interact with women in general which um i think sort of you know rubbed off in in how i how i interacted with lydia and i think that's a that was a big um component of the reason that we ended up getting together so i credit you partially with (laughs) with our relationship and you know that very quickly escalated into uh indeed Gee, man, I'm so happy for you guys. (laughs) Well, so Andy was telling me that one of the key components of the stuff that you guys were kind of talking about at the time was this need to shift the the headspace, flip the game kind of, and change the perspective on how exactly you're going to be interacting with people of the opposite gender. And I see a lot of toxicity from honestly, both sides Mm. of the gender, you know, divide. So I see young men who are incredibly burnt out and angry with the system and for understandable reasons, because I do agree that it has been stacked against young guys pretty much from the get-go, right up until even if they do manage to get married, there's always the off chance that they'll lose everything for the crime of deciding to get married. But coming not just from feminist women, who obviously are primarily the source of a lot of these issues that are that are between the genders. You also have anti-feminist women who are basically saying the inversion of what feminism is saying and trying to paint themselves as the allies to the embittered males on the other side of the gender gap. And it's it's very troubling to watch because I personally don't think, and you guys feel free to weigh in on this, I don't think there's a war between the genders. I think there are just simply women who have been lied to and men who have been punished ultimately by those lies and who are now ready to give up on life, the universe, and everything as a result. Do you disagree or agree? What do you think about that? No, I think you're totally right. Um, they're, one of the things that me and Andy were talking about was how everything we saw growing up in movies and TV taught us everything we knew about how we were supposed to go about getting dates and it's all wrong. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Girls will even say, um, Oh, I want, I want someone to bring me flowers on the first date. Uh, they don't want that. Um, yeah. That comes off as a bribe for sex and a, mm. uh, a weak thing to do in my opinion. Um, but when the shifting of the headspace, um, as far as that is, 
I think that the most important thing is just for for dudes to like think about what they're doing. If it's not working, just try and figure out why. Um, like Jordan Peterson says, it can't be them every time. Uh, you know, sometimes it starts with you, and you have to figure out what am I doing wrong. Uh, thankfully, we have YouTube, and you know all these um, videos you can watch. I'm not saying to to do that, but self growth is kind of like. I mean, I don't know. I got obsessed with this stuff almost um, as far as learning this stuff because it's so cool when you when you um, see it work. I actually just, after telling my little brother about the book for years, he wouldn't <laughs> read it until recently. He read it, and now he has a girlfriend. Don't tell him I oh said Oh, my. That. That's fantastic. I'm actually super happy to hear that. Yeah, it's so cool. Andy, what do you think about all this? Chat GPT has to say about that. Oh boy. Come on now. Oh. Fulfilling relationship with a woman is to focus on building a strong foundation of mutual respect. Huh, that's very interesting, Chat GPT. Yeah. I didn't hear um, anything after mutual hear? respect. I don't think anybody could hear that. <laughs> okay. The- it <laughs> says the key to finding a lasting, fulfilling relationship with a woman is to focus on building a strong foundation of mutual respect, trust, and communication. This involves taking the time to get to know her as an individual, actively listening to her needs and desires, and making an effort to show your affection and appreciation. It is also important to be honest and authentic in your uh, interactions and to be open to compromise and growth as a couple. Mm. Now, you mentioned something interesting, and Dane, in an earlier interview, also said something really interesting, which was that women will ask for things that they don't actually know that they don't want. Mm. And Dane was like, what women will tell you they want is basically a lie. Because they, like you, have been watching these movies that are telling them to do the wrong things. And especially, I think, because of feminism, they will ask for things that don't actually line up with what they are actually looking for. And they might not know that in their heads, but it might be a very visceral response, which is why I'm constantly telling Anyone who will listen, basically, I sound like a crazy person standing on the street corner. I'm constantly telling women my age-ish and possibly younger that you need to get to know yourself before you start to try to look for a partner. And that means knowing, do I want someone who's actually going to be really nice and easygoing? Or am I going to want someone, as is the case for most women, who is willing to put his foot down and say, no, I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're going to go in this direction. And then you kind of negotiate it with him because then you know that if anything were to happen to you and your children in whom you have invested at least nine months apiece, that's a lot of time. And then ultimately you're going to invest at least 18 more years in each one of them. 
then you know that this man is going to be the kind of person who can stand up for you, who it will be able to say to people outside your family, no, you're not going to cross this boundary with my family. You're not going to intrude on our personal space and all that other stuff. So you're kind of testing him to find out what he's willing to put up with. That means you don't want someone who's super nice and soft and squishy and cries at the drop of a hat. You're going to be looking for a guy who's capable of being a little bit disagreeable. And this is actually also what Jordan Peterson talks about when he's talking about like, you know, I do think that women think that they want a weak man. But at the end of the day, you have no idea what a weak, what, what kinds of evil a weak man is capable of doing because they're not in a position of like feeling like they're in control of the situation and in control of their destiny. Totally. So I think a weak man is kind of what women have been lied to and told that that's what they're interested in because they believe that a strong man is the kind of person who can take them away from their their hopes and dreams of becoming, you know, a career woman and, um, you know, having basically being, um, you know, what, what women these days have been told is that being um, the traditional man is the highest thing you can aspire to. And so like being a mother and staying at home with the kids is obviously something wrong with that. You know, there's obviously something inferior about that life and therefore, what they need is a man who will kind of take that role for them so that they can be, you know, the boss be. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, and, and, but they don't understand that, that, that that's not going to change what they're actually interested in, in finding in a, in a mate. Not only that, but a truly strong man would not take them away from anything. Um they would support whatever they did to the extent that it made them happy and still worked for the relationship. You can have kids be a, a good wife and a good family and still pursue whatever dreams that you, you know, want to do. Uh, a lot of what chat GPT said was right, but it, it's right. about how you go about doing all that stuff. Right. Well, and chat GPT assumes that a woman knows what she wants. Because they're like, we'll ask her what she wants and kind of communicate with her. And I think that the influence of feminism is so insidious that it has actually altered what women believe about themselves. And I, I personally just have to tip my hat to feminism in this regard because that's impressive. Like, they're actually doing what I wish I could do with the culture and altering individual... Right, if we could harness that energy right. and somehow <laughs> save the world... <laughs> Right. They've got a great PR department. Yes, yeah. they do. Yeah. They do. Well, and it's also, it doesn't hurt that it's taught by every single intellectually captured institution we see. It's everywhere. And it's it's from birth. So it's really very thorough, if you will. So I have to, you know, I, I admire it. I don't like it. But I think that they really are doing what they set out to do, for better or for worse. I mean, ultimately, I feel like they're destroying the West by convincing women literally not to have children like how better to undermine an entire society than to say no more yeah. people and and to convince women that they don't want kids that's that's your biological imperative is to create more of you so it's really pretty impressive what they've done and i'm not surprised that men are embittered by this but 
there's an element of responsibility I think that guys should probably take as well. Cause I was right. just going to say that um, because look at me. I'm 32 years old. I don't have any kids uh, or a wife. Like and the reason being right? – well, it's that – it's not um, – you know, I, I've been in situations where I could have that, but I'm also following or trying to break the uh, – the habit of thinking that I need to have it all figured out and be able to support a family, which I do. Um, but thinking back, it's like my, my parents, you know, didn't have it all figured out when they got together and had me, my dad was like 26. Yeah. Um, Still my parents were too. I, th I think a lot of uh, dudes these days grew up thinking they needed to get their shit together, which they do. But like 100% and what getting your shit together means now is the, I, I'm not even sure what it means because, um, does anybody, Andy, what do you yet? think about this? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, um, that's the, that's the only thing that you really need to get together is, is the realization of the fact that literally like, you know, most children born throughout history had parents probably an average age of 20 or something. Yeah. Sometimes you younger. Know? Yeah. Um, and those, those cavemen 10,000 years ago, I'm sure, you know, life was a little bit simpler back then. Maybe, maybe they felt like they had their, their shit together, but, <laughs> um, but really most, most people don't have their shit together until they're at least 30. And, you know, we're all over 30 now. And I think we can all agree that none of us feel like we have our shit together. Well, I will say that we live it. We live in a really, privileged society where we have the option of saying i'm gonna hold off mm -hmm. until i have my act together because in the past like you're talking about people would have kids and not just a few kids but as many children as it was possible for mom to manage to produce because right. they needed help to survive history okay is brutal right like incredibly brutal like we needed people to help farm we needed people to help us hunt and gather and make sure that we were safe from literal predators not alone i mean let alone other people and then gradually we reached the point where finally we're in our little ivory towers and we're like okay i don't quite feel like i have it together and admittedly we don't need to have 15 kids anymore and we don't need to nearly kill mom with each one like goodness mm -hmm. gracious a lot of the 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 fact that we had such low life expectancies was not because people were dying when they were 42. It was because people weren't surviving past one or two years old, which is heartbreaking to think about, but so much of history is that way. So I've constantly pushed this idea of really trying to remind people how lucky we are to live when we do. But at the same time, I have to remind myself that we do face our own set of very serious challenges. Like, just bad ideas are enough to keep us from wanting to have kids. That's crazy, right? That's another thing. Cause it's like, I think about it. I'm like, I don't really want to have kids and bring them into this climate right now. I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, things have to get better. Um, yeah. And they thankfully will. for me, I'm a guy and I can wait a bit longer, but I can also die tomorrow. You know, mm -hmm. it's, you never know. it's crazy. The way I um, see it is the future is going to need strong people. And so we have kind of an obligation to, to make more of them. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, 
my silver lining with all this hard times rumors, upcoming <laughs> hard times coming to a place near you, wherever you are, is that hard times do create strong people, which means that whenever we have kids, they will be necessarily strong. And one of the things I've been observing, and you're welcome to chime in whenever you want, because I feel like I'm talking too much on this episode, but I do have a lot to say, to be fair. No, no, um, this is, is great. <laughs> I've noticed that people really need, I don't know if you've read a lot of Viktor Frankl, but you've read some. I was thinking about it uh, just today, and yes, I've read Man's Search for Meaning multiple times. Yes. Um, he's one of my role models, and he is one of the people I truly admire who survived a concentration camp. Now, I think that his was the German one, Solzhenitsyn's was the uh, the um, Soviet, and then Corey Tenboom, yeah. who's a female, she also survived the, the German concentration camp. Those people seem to really, as well as people I know personally who have survived, for most people it is substance abuse or possibly domestic abuse or other really actual extreme physical hardship. What I notice about those people is that hard times really, really teach you what's actually important. And they remind you to be grateful for every day. And they remind you to um, keep polishing yourself so that you're not stuck and feeling sorry for yourself. And I have to say, as we're facing these pending hard times, because I sometimes catch myself feeling a little black pill too. And I'm like, why would you bring kids into this? This is crazy. Look at all these story hours we're seeing. What's going to happen next? Um, and I think, you know what? We need to have kids. We need to teach them what to do, what to look out for, what to fight against. And they're going to face hard times and it's going to make them really strong literally stronger than we are right now damn you know what i never even thought about that um yeah that's a hell of a so, point it's exciting for actually and yeah 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 and i i think that it's gonna get much harder for us but at the same time i'm like hey you know what we're gonna prepare our kids for whatever world we find ourselves in in however yeah. many years and then we're gonna arm them and send them off into the world that's all you can do and I was just going to say, speaking of the bleak future, for, um, I like to end the show off on a good note, on, a, on an uplifting note. Um, so I I like to get a sense from, from the guest, kind of, what do you think um, in terms of, like, we can talk about what should be done on a political level, on a societal level, but what can individuals do, in your opinion, to make the world a better place because literally that's all that we can actually control right so what yeah in your world what in the listeners world do you imagine is the best uh use or kind of use of our time to kind of um improve the the world around us yes just be a good person you know if you see wrongdoing i mean this is almost a cop-out but um try and and stop it from happening as far as you know what i i started reading books to people because i happened to have a music platform that i was willing to potentially sacrifice by reading books that people may not have wanted to hear about mm. but they i thought they needed to in order to understand where certain ideas lead that they may not have known uh, and if you can change one person's mind then that's a that's a good thing. So well, it's like you know, Jordan. Do something that you like. 
it's like Jordan Peterson talks about too. He's like, it's not just you. You are a node in the network, which means right. whatever you do will affect two people who know you, which then goes on to affect six people who know them and on and on and on. It's, you know, the seven right. degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, I think you're entirely correct. And I think that again, as Jordan Peterson says, we could start by cleaning our rooms. Like he points out that a lot of these communist fans, <laughs> I know. Yes. You too, Carter. <laughs> a lot of these perpetually cleaning my room for forever. <laughs> Carter's room is always. Immaculate. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm sure. Well, <laughs> your studio certainly always was. I do remember that. So we can wrap it here. Wait. We've been going Wait, for a yes. while. Thank you so much, Carter, for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. What are you plugging this, this evening? Anything? Do you have anything to plug? I mean, you can, uh, got lots of music coming up. So if you wanted to go to trashhouserecords.com, you could pick up Bright Eyes. But uh, also, I am going to start reading books again. So awesome. it's called the Carter Banks Hour. My YouTube channel is just at Carter Banks. They do this weird, like, youtube.com slash at. Yeah, it's weird. Now. Yeah. 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 But it's cool yeah. because, like, it's a clickable yeah. tag in the description. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, awesome. I'll give you all the link like... to the first episode of Cancer Ward. Perfect. <laughs> by the time this delightful. video comes out. Yeah. I'm going to link that in the description of this video whenever it goes up on YouTube. And people can follow you over there. And hopefully they will. Because those are really important stories that hopefully they're never going to sensitivity read and try to alter like they're doing with Roald Dahl and some of these other kids' authors. I feel so like there's a, a bit of a, a – was a Barbara Streisand effect? Streisand effect. Yeah. yeah. Um, when they do that kind of thing. But uh, honestly, I think you're doing – the most that anyone can hope to do because affecting the culture in making number one hit songs like you, you've been doing that have, uh, you know, um, anti-communist sentiments um, embedded in right. them. Subversive. I think, yeah. I love it. What, what more can you do to actually um, make the world around us a better place? Yeah. So, Carter, thank you so much for doing what you've been doing really appreciate hey, thanks having for, you thanks here. for having me on it's been great catching up with you guys i think this is the first yeah time i feel like i'm talking to y'all face to face but i know you're behind a screen but it's so cool yeah <laughs> i yeah. miss you guys yeah yeah we miss you as well and hopefully we'll you will continue to see outstanding success with trash house and with tin cast records i will see all of you guys tomorrow until next time bye guys bye guys